A drug that first gained prominence as a treatment for heroin addiction, methadone is now more commonly prescribed by medical practitioners for a range of severe pains. Why are we seeing this rise in methadone use? Are we as prescribers doing everything we can to understand the risks of methadone and to ensure that our patients are aware of the dangers as well? You are listening to ReachMD XM157, the channel for medical professionals. Welcome to the Clinician's Roundtable. I am your host, Dr. Mark Nolan Hill, Professor of Surgery and Practicing General Surgeon. And our guest is Dr. Howard Height, a nationally recognized chronic pain and addiction specialist practicing in Northern Virginia and an assistant clinical professor at the Georgetown University School of Medicine. Welcome, Dr. Height. Thank you very much for having me on your program, Dr. Hill. Dr. Hyde, methadone is now the fastest-growing cause of narcotic death in the United States. Could you explain? Well, I think there's a couple reasons for this, is that methadone previously was used mainly for treating the disease of addiction, and I'm certified in that particular area of medicine. But also, methadone is being used increasingly more for pain management. And the reason it is being used more and more for pain management is that it is an excellent medication, it is dirt cheap, but it is an unforgiving medicine if used not knowledgeably or prescribed with the knowledge of the pharmacokinetics and pharmadynamics of the particular medicine. If you would review for a second, why and how is it used in heroin addiction? Well, we have about a million people who have addiction to heroin and only 250,000 slots of opioid treatment centers. And what methadone does, it goes to the mu receptor site, the same receptor site that heroin goes to, and essentially extinguishes the cravings for methadone. And this has been used since the mid-60s for the treatment of the disease of addiction. It was pioneered by a wonderful physician, Marie Nyswander, and her husband, Vincent Dole, who started the first methadone clinics in New York City. It's very successful in regards to treating the disease of addiction, especially heroin addiction, or any prescription opioid addiction. Then how did we get to using it for patients with pain? We got to use it with people who have pain, one, because it is an excellent analgesic, meaning a pain-relieving qualities, and two, in this day and age where brand medicines cost a lot of money, it is essentially dirt cheap as far as a pharmacological product because it's been around so long and it's available in a generic form, and it's very cost-efficient to use. Although it's the fastest-growing cause of narcotic death in the United States. Well, again, what I have a problem with is the tail wagging the dog, or is the dog wagging the tail? What do you mean, sir? Well, what we mean is that when we get publicity about the downside of opioid pain management, whether it be with methadone or controlled oxycodone products or other products, that gets the headline. But the headlines never come out of grandma gets her life back with appropriate rational pharmacotherapy with methadone or someone returns to work and is able to support his or her family with appropriate pain management with methadone. We never hear about the good stories. We always hear about the bad stories in the media or the press. Why is that? When we say it's not about the money, it's always about the money. Good news doesn't sell and bad news sells. (laughs) Well, should primary care physicians start using methadone instead of OxyContin, or should they go to someone like yourself, a pain specialist? Who should prescribe this? Well, I think very strongly, whenever a physician or a healthcare provider prescribes a medicine, 
he or she should know the pharmacodynamics of a medicine and the pharmacokinetics of the medicine. What does pharmacokinetics? Well, that has to do with drug absorption, distribution, binding, excretion. But the easy way to remember pharmacokinetics is what the body does to the drug. He or she should also know the pharmacodynamics of the drug, the mechanism of which the drugs produce their effect. And again, the easy way to remember that is what the drug does to the body. So if you're going to use any medication, and I don't care whether you're using it for pain management or a drug for pulmonary disease, you have to be familiar with the pharmacokinetics and pharmacodynamics of that drug, or you shouldn't prescribe it. Well, now, how is methadone different than OxyContin in terms of the pharmacokinetics and the dynamics? Well, there's a big difference. Tell us. Big difference. Methadone is a more complex medication pharmacokinetically and pharmacodynamically. It has a variable half-life, meaning that I know if I use a controlled release oxycodone product that I'm going to get a steady-state blood level in 36 hours. But the half-life of methadone has a marked individual variation, anywhere from 14 to 40 hours. Why? That's just the way it works. I can't tell you that. But it also works on other receptor sites. It's an antagonist on what we call the NMD receptor site. And that may have to do with tolerance of the medication. And if we look at all the deaths secondary to methadone, they usually occur in the first two to three weeks, whether that methadone was used on the street illicitly, prescribed in an opioid treatment center for the treatment of addiction, or used in pain management. And your thoughts about that? It has occurred for three reasons. The initial dose was too high. It was titrated up too quickly or there was a drug-drug interaction that changed the blood level of the drug. Well, how do you know how to start and when to start and what to give exactly? The key is to go very slow and go conservatively. Because think about it logically. You could always add to the medication if you need more analgesia. The patient could always call you and say, Doc, the dose isn't strong enough. I'm still having my pain number seven. Well, I, you know, trying to get it down to a, a number four or a five. So I could always add if necessary, but it's very hard for me to get it out of your body when you're having respiratory depression and not breathing and fall on the floor. It's very difficult to reach for the phone and call your doctor under those circumstances. So the key is always to be very conservative in your dosing and titrate to effect. And what about interactions with other drugs that are commonly used? You have to know this because one of the things that is very unique about methadone is its metabolism through the liver. And it goes through what we call the cytochrome 450 enzyme system. And there are medications that will cause induction of that system, meaning it will speed the metabolism up through that system, such as anti-seizure medicine, such as dilantin, tegretol, certain hypoglycemic agents, such as insulin, phenobarbital. And then contrary, you have medicines that will cause an inhibition of the cytochrome 450 system, such as cimetidine, antifungal agents, certain antidepressants, even grapefruit juice. Hmm. And so it's incumbent on the healthcare provider who prescribes methadone to know all the medicines that the patient is on or the medicine the patient is going off because that could affect the blood level of methadone and affect the patient in an adverse way. With all these potential risks involved and the multiple factors you mentioned, is it worth it in terms of the efficacy and benefits of methadone? Like with any other medicine, if used properly, what I call along with good rational pharmacotherapy, 
I believe very strongly, its benefits outweigh its risk. But the key to know about methadone, it doesn't have a sense of humor if used inappropriately. If you have just joined us, you are listening to the Clinician's Roundtable on ReachMD XM157. I am your host, Dr. Mark Nolan-Hill, and our guest is Dr. Howard Height, a nationally recognized chronic pain and addiction specialist practicing in Northern Virginia and an assistant clinical professor at the Georgetown University School of Medicine. We're discussing the rise and risks of methadone prescriptions. Dr. Height, going back to the question that I previously asked you, considering all of these factors, well, then who really should be prescribing this medication? I think, Mark, that anybody who is doing pain management should be familiar with at least a few opioid medications that are what we call 24-7 medications, meaning that they have long half-lives. We have to realize that, such as controlled oxycodone or fentanyl patches or morphine in certain delivery systems are just immediate-release opioids in clever delivery systems, while methadone is the only medication approved by the FDA that is truly a long-acting opioid intrinsically. It is not in a clever delivery system. The key in the proper use of methadone is education, not regulation of the medication. What do the patients say in terms of their pain relief? The pain relief, if done correctly, they think it's a miracle medication. Tell us about the contract that you enter into with the mutual obligations with your patients. Well, Mark, I would like to use the word rather than contract, I like to use the word agreement. Why is that, sir? Because I'm not entering into a legal agreement with the patient, a legal contract. I'm entering into agreement. That agreement states the responsibility that I have and the responsibility that the patient has in receiving a controlled substance. It states before I write the first prescription for that patient, the mutual responsibilities of each party. Essentially, what I will do for you and what you will do for me based on mutual trust and responsibility. It sets up the rules of the game before I write the first prescription. And how do you do that? Well, I have a written agreement that I've used over the years, and I have the patient read it. And if they agree with it or have any questions about it, because it also gives informed consent of explaining the difference between addiction, physical dependence, and tolerance, which I think is very important, for the patient to know. I give a copy to the patient. I also give the patient an extra copy to take to the pharmacist because I want the pharmacist to know who's prescribing these Schedule II medications. In case there's any questions, they could always call me. This written agreement is a sense of a form of informed consent and a sense of what we will do for each other because we have to remember the prescribing of a controlled substance, especially an opioid, is a privilege, not a right. The receiving of it is a privilege of a right. The pharmacist dispensing it is a privilege, not a right. Dr. Hyde, not to be too simplistic, but how do you keep from being duped? I've been in practice 26 years, and patients I never would have guessed would be dishonest with me have duped me going to different pharmacies, telling me things. And how do you really know when the patient enters into this agreement with you that they're going to be straight and honest? Mark, are you familiar with the term pseudo-addiction? No, sir. Pseudo-addiction is a term in which a patient has been inappropriately or untreated for pain, and that patient will do aberrant behavior in order to get good pain management. But when that patient receives rational pharmacotherapy and complementary therapy 
in order to treat their pain, all aberrant behavior stops. While addiction is a primary chronic neurobiological disease that's marked by impaired control over drug use and compulsive use, continued use despite harm and cravings. So what you do when you first see a patient, you set up the appropriate boundaries with that patient based on your history and physical, and then if the patient stays within that boundaries, then pseudo-addiction is a diagnosis made retrospectively which the behavior normalizes. Somebody with a disease of addiction, their behavior deteriorates despite your best effort. So if you set up appropriate boundaries before you write the first prescription of the mutual responsibility of each, the patient who is trying to drug-seek rather than pain-relief-seeking will declare themselves. So I believe everybody who comes into my practice truly has pain until they declare themselves one way or the other. Is it always straightforward differentiating between those two classes of patients? No. That's why we call the art of medicine. The more that you see patients or in pain management or addiction medicine, I think the easier it becomes. And I feel very, very strongly to do good pain management, you have to be trained in addiction medicine. And to do a good addiction medicine, you have to be at least a talented amateur in pain management. If we say the following statistics are true, which they are, 10% of the population has the disease of addiction. Why do you say that, sir? That's what the statistics show. If 10% of the people listening to our broadcast have the disease of addiction, the statistics are irrefutable in this area. It's been repeated. It's been repeated. Pain is the most common cause of somebody presenting to a primary care doctor. Not that they need opioids, but it's the most common presentation. If that is true, why isn't the interface of pain and addiction part of the core curriculum of the training of all healthcare professionals? You have to train your young students in what they're going to see when they go out in the real world. And when they go out in the real world, they're going to see the disease of addiction. And notice I emphasize the disease of addiction, not the moral failing of addiction. And they're going to see pain, whether it be acute pain or chronic pain, and they're not receiving the proper training in their formative years in their medical training. I want to thank our guest, Dr. Howard Height. We've been discussing the rise and risks of methadone prescriptions. I'm Dr. Mark Nolan-Hill, and you have been listening to the Clinician's Roundtable on ReachMD XM157, the channel for medical professionals. Be sure to visit our website at ReachMD.com, featuring on-demand podcasts of our entire library. For comments and questions, please call us toll-free at 888-MD-XM-157. And thank you for listening.